just moments ago, we entered Hanukkah. Really? The sun just went oh. down. That's it. We are here. This is like Hanukkah. holiday season. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I will say uh, it was a beautiful sunrise and sunset today. It, it's lovely. It was a beautiful pink sky. Mm-hmm. Um, the clouds, too, were doing like that shelf thing that I think is really cool. Where like it's like one solid like sheet of clouds and then it just all stops like right, right above the horizon. Yeah. So like when I was coming here today, you just had like a solid line of like pink. It was so cool. If I wasn't driving. I would have taken a picture. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for being responsible and not doing that. You know, it's funny, though. You. It's not even that, like, I'm worried I'm going to get into an accident. I have this fear that if the person in front of me sees that I have my phone up and I'm taking a picture, I worry that they think I'm taking a picture of their license plate mm. and I'm trying to call the police on them. I see. I don't know why that's my mindset. Yeah, no, they don't care about you at all. They don't care. Because mm-hmm. let me tell you, I really wanted to take a picture of a car the other day. It had the craziest bumper sticker I've ever seen in my life. I take pictures of bumper stickers for people. I should have taken a picture of it. Yeah, what did it say? Red cursive, like very fancy cursive. Okay, script one might say. Baby on board. And this thing is like huge. Like the, the sticker was the size of your laptop. It was huge. Baby on board. In the middle, between baby on and board, a picture of Bugs Bunny lounging on his side eating a carrot. Wow. All in red. So classy and gentry. Yes. Isn't that weird? That's very weird. It was such a specific bumper sticker. They had to. Sexy Bugs Bunny. Had to make it. Baby on board. Somebody made it for this specific person. (laughs) There's no way you Because trust me, I tried to Google it and it does not exist in the real world. (laughs) You can't find it. I do this thing where I take um, pictures of bumper stickers on people's cars and send it to my kids and I go, (laughs) would I be friends with this person or not friends Ah! with this person? good game it's a very good game because usually it's very obvious i love that <laughs> well we're not here to talk about bumper stickers no <laughs> we're here to talk about herstory with katie and Allie. this is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history we talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance but keep in mind we're drinking the entire time and we are not historians no that is uh, a necessary thing to yeah. know before jumping into this but we're so good at podcasting we're actually yeah, average at yeah we're average at podcasting <laughs> terrible at website design um sarah w really called us out this week well and we've been at our search bar and a lot of people have over we've the years been asked to have a search bar now that we have so many websites or yeah. so many episodes yes, and we are it's impossible really trying to figure it out yeah Mostly and trust me producer i get hard. frustrated <laughs> yeah i when i'm trying to look for like somebody passing away i'm yeah. like when the hell did we do this did we do this person because i have to scroll back it's crazy so producers on the case guys this week he has time he's gonna try to and work it out for we're us gonna, we're gonna try and figure it out yeah Definitely by Christmas. Yeah, that's the, the goal. Year. By the new year. Yes, we'll by the new year. <laughs> okay. So I think this is like, um, is this our last like new episode for a bit? Well, we're going to have new episodes, but the next two are going to be Christmas episodes, yes, I think. Or so holiday season themed. Yes, so we're taking just the slightest of breaks mm-hmm. for the holidays, and then we will be back with our request season. So we are taking a pause. But I feel like it's been a pretty good season so far. Yeah, it's so been just relish in the space that we're in. Um, roll the dice with past episodes because, again, 
no search bar so you can do whatever you want um <laughs> just pick a random one um and just get into it but but yeah so we're gonna be taking a little bit of a break and then we'll be back but new content is coming it's just not the content you're used to yeah it's gonna be christmas content <laughs> yeah Holiday which everybody content. loves love that. okay you're busy you're very You're busy. trying to add a search bar to your website so yep. that yours isn't as shitty as ours. Yep. And Square.com is not making it easy. It's called Squarespace, but that's Squarespace. fine. Squarespace.com <laughs> is not making it easy. So we don't want to distract you from your task by making you look up what these women look like so you can have a picture in your mind while no, we're telling their story. Never. So we're going to describe them for you. We're going to get a little physical, physical. Allie, who are you doing and what does she look like? I am doing Jovita Idar, and she's a Mexican-American woman with a light skin complexion. She had the wonderful Gibson girl hair, of course, mm -hmm. and high-collared dresses. She reminds me so much of Ida B. Wells, Ooh, the way that she uh -huh. dressed and her personality and her profession, like so much like her. She had a very defined jawline. Um, but do you know the way that like Tom Holland always looks like he has a frog in his mouth? Yeah. That's kind of how she looks. Like okay. she's always about to say something. Okay. Gotcha. Um, and that is what she looks like. All right. There we go. <laughs> she's beautiful. I think she's beautiful. <laughs> um, so I am doing fictional character, Penny Proud. Whoop, whoop. Penny is a 14-year-old African-American girl of a light brown complexion. She has black eyes, a beauty mark beneath the outer corner of her left eye and brown lips. She has black curly hair that is nearly always done in low pigtails tied together by two fuchsia colored hair ties while a single hair strand sticks up at the top of her forehead. She wears a white collared blouse, a burgundy cardigan, a magenta skirt, white ankle length socks and magenta and white sneakers. And that is what Penny Proud looks like. She's so prideful. She's so cute. I know. She's adorable. I love her. I love Penny Proud. Um, all right. So do you want to know what you're about to drink? I do. It's as purple as we could make it. Yes, as we we did try. Um, so Penny is a teenage girl. She's 14 in the original series, 16 in the reboot. So we were thinking about like what is a drink that you would make at a house party when you you're don't 14. know what you're doing when you're 14. <laughs> so this is going to suck. So this is blue raspberry vodka, strawberry liqueur, and LaCroix poured over ice, stirred with your finger. <laughs> Just like one would. Cheers. Cheers. I mean, it tastes like a... Slushy. Yeah. <laughs> tastes like a slushy. Mm -hmm. Which we've done this before. I feel like um things like this, like with the American Girl doll drink, it tastes yes. like a slushy. Yeah, it's just like sugary, sweet, fruity, and just fun. And I wanted to make a purple drink because like purple is definitely like the proud family color. Right. Obviously, she's in magenta the whole time. Mm -hmm. Like I think their house is purple, the logo is purple. Right. So that's a very important color to the show. Um so what do you know about Penny Proud? So I know Penny Proud is a cartoon. It was a little after my time. Like I was a little old mm -hmm. for Penny Proud. Uh, I've seen clips and bits and pieces of it here and there. I don't know a lot about it. I know that Proud is her last name. I know that she 
has been referenced a lot on like web countdowns of important representation for yeah. like black television characters for kids. Mm-hmm. And but that's it. I don't know her storyline. I don't actually even know what the show is about. Yeah. Um, because I've never like sat down and watched it. Perfect. Um, oh, also this called us a penny for your thoughts. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> that's really cute. I forgot the name of the cocktail um, when I said it. So anyways, uh, but yes, this is a show, The Proud Family, that came out at exactly the right age for me. Right. Um, and the only, because re- it was a Disney Channel show, and the only reason I was able to watch it is because Disney Channel made a deal with ABC to air Disney Channel shows only for a brief twinkle of time on saturday mornings and i lived (laughs) for this small moment and the proud family was like my favorite show on like in this time period oh that's so cute that was like airing on abc in the morning saturday morning cartoons was like a such a big deal for the non-cable havers yes um so but it was i'm not gonna lie this was like difficult research to do because it's like you don't just want to like recap every episode. So I'm trying to go with like larger themes and like the importance of the show. So it's more so about the Proud Family show than it is about Penny in particular as a character. Um, but I do want to shout out Artemis for requesting Penny. Uh, what a great choice. She's so cool. Um, so thank you, Artemis, for this request as we are in request season. Mm. <laughs> All right. Let's get into it. Oh, and I got most of this from like Wikipedia watching youtube clips of the show um and like the proud family wiki like disney wiki so anyways penny proud was born to trudy proud and oscar proud on june 4th 1987 in emilyville california during this time her mother age 22 was just months from graduating college and would go on to earn a doctorate in veterinary medicine her father age 23 had dropped out of college to pursue his dream of becoming an entrepreneur. Her parents married married shortly after. Her mother is a successful veterinarian, and her father owns a snack food company called Proud Snacks. Her mother is always portrayed as kind of the calm and reasonable one, and her father is quick to anger and constantly embarrassing Penny and treating her like a child. So in 1992, her family moved their current address at 1433 Kelly Road a few months before Penny's fifth birthday. And when we meet her, she has twin siblings um, that are babies named Bibi and Cece, who are very mischievous. And she has a grandmother named Sugar Mama, who is always accompanied by her pet poodle named Puff. Penny is currently in eighth grade at Willie T. Ribs Middle School at the start of the show. And her best friend is Dijanae Jones. And her friend group is rounded out by Zoe Hauser, Sticky Webb, and eventually La La Cienega Boulevardes. (laughs) Penny is known for being a great student, a talented athlete, football and basketball, and she is known for being an amazing singer. Penny is a typically grounded individual, and she is confident in who she is, while also being courteous to her parents and peers most of the time but of course she can fall short like all of us i mean she's in eighth grade exactly can't be perfect (laughs) but just because she's a good kid doesn't mean she doesn't get into trouble she disobeys her parents occasionally throws parties goes to parties (laughs) tries to date boys but sometimes you know her rebellion feels a little warranted because her parents ask a lot of her one of the big tensions in the show is 
you know, Penny is always wanting to be more independent, spend time with her friends, and experience those essential teen moments, while her parents are constantly asking her to do the chores, help them out with the housework, and babysit. This girl is always babysitting those twins. (laughs) And sometimes her parents just say no to plans because she's only 14. They demand that she's responsible for, like, these two babies, but, like, on a regular basis. But then when Penny wants to be independent, she's not allowed because she's not old enough. So it's kind of like a classic scenario for an eighth grader. You know what I'm Mm -hmm. saying? Like, that frustration of, like, you trust me with this, but you don't trust me with this. Like, am I a baby or am I an adult? Like, what am I? Like, I just feel like this show really encapsulates the eighth grade experience of, like, you think you're an adult. You think you're in high school. But you're not like yeah. you're you're a chi- you're like a little baby child. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the Proud Family debuted on Disney Channel on September 15th, 2001. The show was created by Bruce W. Smith in 1998. He had a production company called Jambalaya Studios, but he was a full time animator for Disney. He worked on hit movies such as Emperor's New Groove yeah. and later Frozen. Perfect. <laughs> He's very good. What a rap sheet. I know. So in 1998, Nickelodeon helped produce the pilot. So the pilot was created a couple, like three years before the show actually got picked up. Mm -hmm. Um, But Nickelodeon ultimately passed on the show, never airing it. But thankfully, Disney picked it up and the show ran for just two seasons. But they had 52 episodes and the show ran from 2001 to 2005. So kind of a long stretch for only two seasons. Um, and the show finished out with a movie in 2005. Then in 2022, Disney rebooted the show with The Proud Family, Louder and Prouder, which debuted on Disney+. Plus. In this new rendition of the show, the characters have all aged two years, so they are very firmly teenagers. <laughs> And Kyla Pratt of One on One and Dr. Doolittle fame has been the voice of Penny since the very first episode. Yeah. I love Kyla Pratt. Yeah. I think she's so cute. I think <laughs> And that, I loved One on One. <laughs> this is a really great thing that streaming services have done for us. Yes. Is that the fan base has more opportunity just to get their show back. Uh, especially with animated series. Like sometimes you can't get like full-time actors back, but people have fought for their shows. Yeah that they loved as a child and now i think places have because it's not a time slot yeah companies mm-hmm. have more availability to do that for people yep exactly and um, also employ more artists yes employ more artists <laughs> yes. so when the original series debuted it was received very positively and it was a huge success the New York Times writer Lee Ann Johnson argued that the series provided a lighthearted depiction of a black suburban family in their day-to-day lives and called it a groundbreaking um, for a, like a black cartoon on TV with universal themes delivered so that they were rooted in African-American culture. They also stated that the series included vernacular and colloquialisms used in black households and combined it with humor and cultural references and educational storylines so they're really like threading a lot of needles here because like they're trying to like be true to the black experience and also educate and also make it fun and lighthearted while Mm -hmm. also tackling tough subjects like Mm -hmm. they're doing a lot and they do it so well well i think even like when you were giving like the grandmother's name i was Uh thinking about how like when i watch shows with today with like hispanic characters Uh how they'll use different 
verbiage than like the black families mm-hmm. than the white families and it's like all we had yeah. leading up to this were the white families yep. and what they said to their family members yeah and how they reacted with their maybe black neighbors that were written by white people <laughs> right yeah um another writer for the times maya phillips argued that the series distinguished itself by being unapologetically black which mm. i think is such a great way to describe the show um now another um journalist for vice media criticized the show for some negative stereotypes of asian muslim and black people but also said that it was a standout disney show in many ways mm. so what made this show so popular and what were some of the things that maybe could have been better well a lot of people wish that penny had better friends <laughs> <laughs> So over the years, I wish every middle schooler had better friends. Well, that's kind of where I'm arguing. So over the years, they people have criticized Penny's friends, calling them fake ass friends, especially her best friend, Dijanae. Dijanae is constantly telling Penny that she's like a sister and she would never desert her, but bails on her every chance she gets. Oh, Dijanae, why? Like literally like is like. Oh, Penny, like, I'm going to go to the other party and not your party. And she's like, what the fuck? Like, you're supposed to be my best friend. Terrible. And people get mad at her because she never learns a lesson. Like, there are some people in the show that, like, do shitty things. And then they're like, wow, I see the error of my ways. Tishanae never does. She never apologizes. And Penny has, like, unconditional love for her. Yes. Of course. Uh, Many viewers describe her as selfish and uh, untrustworthy. I mean, there are whole videos, like, 15 to 20 minutes long on YouTube talking about what a (laughs) shitty character she is. Wow, we really should have done Dijanae on this I know. (laughs) (laughs) And really, the rest of her friends are not that great either. Uh, La Cienega can be really nasty and stuck up and even tries to steal Penny's boyfriend in the reboot. Rude! But sometimes Penny's a bad friend, too. So in one episode, they form a girl group, LPDZ, and their girl group from the school talent show or whatever it was gets signed to a record label. And eventually, Penny is seen as the standout star, and she makes all of her friends the background singers. Rude. (laughs) Very rude. Um, Um, Harry Styles of you. Exactly. (laughs) But... I think this is honestly what makes the show kind of a little bit more relatable, especially when you're a middle school girl. Your friends are shitty. You're shitty. But you'll probably end up all being friends, you know, the next day regardless. Like, I feel like this is just how it can be when you're in middle school. Like, whether you're a boy or a girl. Or, or, you know, gender nonconforming. Like, I feel like every person's middle school experience is terrible you're full of drama and emotions and Mm -hmm. you're an adult in training and Mm -hmm. i see it every day kids are in huge fights and then the next day they're best friends yep or like they're joking around and one kid's feelings gets really hurt and the other person's like yesterday they were fine with that yeah they just like there's so many hormones flying around there's so much kids it's so hard yeah and speaking of relatability, this show was relatable to a whole generation of kids who had not really seen people like themselves on TV, especially in cartoons, which I think is very important. Obviously, the show was groundbreaking because the characters were predominantly people of color, and they were actually voiced by people of color. And the Proud family made efforts to have black writers, black producers, black directors, like everyone involved in the creation of the show was a person of color pretty much i think like you know obviously there are probably like some white writers some you know people sprinkled in there but it was like predominantly 
a black show made by like black people, which I think really added from what I was reading, like added to the authenticity of it. Like it felt like the experience, the true yeah. lived experience of a group of people. Like this is a black family living in a suburban neighborhood like give me some people who've done that before yeah and this meant that they were not afraid to include black cultural touchstones like there are a lot of shows within the shows there's one called hip-hop helicopter that was based off of kind of like a soul train or like showtime Uh, at the apollo you know it's kind of like a a musical um like stage show and then there was uh like Penny's favorite show is Leisha based off of Moesha. Mm-hmm. And then there's the show My Mama and Me based off of the Parkers. And I don't know if like I grew up watching those shows. Yeah. So I, other people did. Um, Different stroke. <laughs> so anyways, so they also reference a lot of famous black people that other cartoons like maybe wouldn't have. So, for example, they're, the second episode of season one is called I Had a Dream. And the kids are given a Black History Month project. And the teacher is like, I don't want, like, the usual people. So, like, Penny is dressed up as Angela Davis. Dijanae is Bessie Coleman. Um, La Cienega is Shirley Chisholm. And Zoe is Madam C.J. Walker, which could be dicey because Zoe is the token white friend in this show. Okay. Okay. (laughs) But she just dresses up in this, like, excellent pink suit, you know, which is great. You know, so I just... I feel like there probably aren't many other cartoons that are giving you a short biography on Angela Davis. <laughs> no! I mean, I don't think a lot of other schools are giving you a short biography no. on Angela Davis, let alone no. a cartoon. <laughs> Good for them. Um, and as for guest stars, they picked celebrities that like a suburban black family would be really excited about. The list included Gabrielle Union, Alicia Keys, Smokey Robinson, Randy Jackson, Steve Harvey, Al Roker, and the late great Kobe Bryant, among many, many others. And again, it's not that like white kids wouldn't get excited about Alicia Keys, but if it were a different show, like her character, like the guest celebrity might be like Britney Spears. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like they just really tried to include like famous people of color, which I think is very cool. Um, and then they had a whole episode on Kwanzaa. So in season one, there's an episode where the proud family invites a homeless family in to celebrate Christmas with them. And then the homeless family then decides that they're going to kind of like give back to them and celebrate Kwanzaa with the proud family. The, Qua- the proud family doesn't celebrate Kwanzaa. So they kind of like teach them about it. And then teach us. And, like, they go through every single day of the seven-day celebration. Right. And, like, really break it down. And they did a great job of explaining it. Because, like, I didn't really know, like, too much about it. And, like, I'm just watching this short clip. I'm like, wow, I feel like I have a much better grasp on this holiday. <laughs> yeah, which is, like, I mean, we just talked about Hanukkah, like, a minute ago. But it, it is an amazing, it's a non-religious, like, cultural yeah. holiday. Mm-hmm. Like, entirely pan-African holiday. So it's great to, like, see that on television. Yeah. And it's, I mean, the family is called a pr- the Proud Family, mm-hmm. and this is about, like, pride in your roots. Yeah. Like, even mm-hmm. if they were taken from you, or you chose to immigrate, or, like, you, like, there's so much to it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and along with celebrating black culture, the show has also been known for tackling social issues. So, in the episode I was talking about earlier, I had a dream. So, she's dressing up for a school project. She slips, bumps her head, and is transported back to 1955. And the episode shows how it would have been for a young black girl to be in school. She is discriminated against. 
her white teacher is being really shitty towards her. Her white friend Zoe is shamed for talking to a colored girl. And like Penny still thinks she's in 2001. So she's like, what the hell is going on? Mm, sure. <laughs> um, and it's like really shining a light on, you know, how people would really have been treated in 1955. Um, and in the reboot, they introduce a new character named Maya, who is voiced by Kiki Palmer. And her main quality is that she is a young activist who is often seen reading real anti-racism books. And she never hesitates to shut people down with her wisdom and maturity. But the show also kind of portrays her as sometimes coming off as mean and self-righteous and insensitive. So some things she's bringing to light are helpful and important. And sometimes she gets carried away and Penny feels like very judged by her and like, which is again, like a true experience. It's a true experience. And it's a hard thing to like display. Cause like you don't want her to seem like a jerk who's wrong all the time. Cause she's not. But also it's like, Penny's like, I'm just trying to be like a teenage girl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> making like, me feel bad for not like, <laughs> I can't handle this right yeah, now. <laughs> like, I don't know. So but she is a very interesting new character. Um, and in season two of the reboot, this season ended with an episode on Juneteenth where the kids basically find out that their town is named after a slave owner. And they get, gather together and they successfully get the town renamed to Emilyville rather than Smithville, mm. which is a really cool idea for an episode of like, again, it's like that's why it's important for like a character like Maya to be there to be like, we should really like do something about this. Like, well, that's and I think okay. it, it gives people like a talking point because uh -huh. like a lot this the most recent like big renaming is the Washington Commanders, right? And it's been like a couple years in the making and people are so like, I don't know why we had to do that. It's not a big deal. And it gives children the vocabulary of how to talk in those yeah. situations. And yeah. I think it's important to give kids that vocabulary because yeah. a lot of times they might know something's wrong, but they don't know how to say it. Yeah. And then adults just speak over them. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's a controversial episode that's off in the reboot that's often referred to as the colorism episode. So in this one, a black teen celebrity comes to the school and all the girls want to date him, but he chooses Zoe. And everyone is shocked because Zoe is a huge nerd. <laughs> and all of Zoe's friends turn against her because they're like, well, that guy is known for only dating white girls. And Zoe doesn't believe them. And she's like, no, like he likes me for my personality. Like, why does it have to be that? Like, why can't he just like me for me? Unfortunately, she's proven wrong, and it turns out he did only want to date her because she was white, so she does break up to him. But what's interesting is that a lot of people have gotten kind of upset about this episode because, like, Zoe ends up, like, apologizing to the group of friends when, like, they were really mean to her about this. And, mm -hmm. like, one of the girls is like, when has a guy ever been interested in you? Never. And, like, this wow. guy. Yeah, it's, like, like really mean. <laughs> And a lot of people pointed out, they're like, well, it wasn't Zoe's fault. <laughs> this guy asked her out like she didn't know. Yeah. You know, so this episode has been like a little divisive. It's such people. a it's such a hard discussion to have because like yeah. I think Save the Last Dance did this. Mm -hmm. um, was it Save the Last Dance that I'm talking about? Mm hmm. The one with um, Julia Stiles. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Save the Last Dance did this really well where she is you know julia styles is best friends with the this girl who's like helping her through school and then she starts dating her brother mm -hmm. 
and they have a fight about it. Yeah. Because she's like, you know, like it's that same like colorism conversation. It's like my yeah. brother's about to go to med school and he's picking you, the white girl. Right. And it's like a very uncomfortable conversation, but a conversation that needs to be had. Right. Yeah. Because people do feel a certain way about it. Yeah. You know? And and it's not that interracial relationships shouldn't be had. It's right. that there is like there's a larger um I guess there's a larger social context to it. Yeah. Well, I think that's what the proud family is trying to do is like really starting these conversations of like, what does it mean when like a young black man is like openly like, I don't want to date black girl. Like, is it preference? Is it racism? Is it colorism? Like, what are like, what are we feeling about this? You know, like it's, I don't know. Again, the show starts very interesting and important conversations. Um, and so anyways, speaking of relationships, <laughs> because the cast is between 14 and 16 during the run of the show, relationships and dating are a big part of it. Penny deals a lot with the pitfalls of wanting to date while having a super protective parent and having friends that maybe want to steal her boyfriends. <laughs> um, and when the show was rebooted, they were able to lean into being more inclusive when it came to sexuality. So there is a character named Michael Collins. Michael is portrayed in the original series as a flamboyant young man whose father is the football coach and is so ashamed of his flamboyant son that he says, don't call me dad in public. I told you to call me coach. Michael prefers to choreograph the girls dance moves for their like, you know, little band rather than play sports. And this is always kind of like a controversial character. And there's like a whole episode that got banned because of the way this character was treated, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, so in the reboot, they officially made Michael a gender fluid character who is still flamboyant, but is not used as a punchline anymore. Cause mm-hmm. that was kind of what it was in the original run of the series. It seemed like, um, so Michael is more integral to the storylines and helps out Penny and her friends, especially when it comes to like, I don't know, like making costumes or clothes, like, similar things to what Michael was doing in the original series. But now again, it's like more of like, wow, you are really talented at this rather than like, that's so funny that like you want to be a cheerleader, you know? Mm. So Michael's a very promising new character, like rebooted character. (laughs) And also in the reboot, there is a brother sister duo who have two fathers, which Dijonet finds out. And then, spreads it all over school as if it's like a bad thing and she's kind of like whispering and gossiping about them and like and then people start to like shun the brother sister duo because Mm. their dads are gay um and of course like it ends up you know because they're like well we're not ashamed of our dads like they're great people and like people come around to it and whatever but again people are mad because Dijonet still never fucking apologizes (laughs) um (laughs) Um, Tijuana is just really all of us. Yes. <laughs> um, so anyways, that's to say that like the reboot is really trying to include storylines that are more relevant to kids right now and the conversations that they're having. And it also includes storylines about social media and influencer, influencer, influencer culture. Can you say it again? I what is cannot. it? I don't know what it is. Um, you know, and just like talking about things that they're dealing with now rather than back in 2001. So when the show first aired, there were two episodes that were banned and then reinstated. So the episode 
Who You Callin' a Sissy was pulled after its initial airing due to Michael Collins being called a sissy. And it was later reinstated because they're like, well, now Michael is like a gender nonconforming character. But I don't really know if that makes it. I don't know if they're saying that, like, it's fine to call Michael a sissy. (laughs) I don't really know. It might be fine that that is a true experience of a gender fluid character going to middle and high school. Right. Which is like what may happen. Yeah. Mm hmm. So unfortunately, right. Unfortunately. So that episode is now back in. And then on another episode called Wedding Bell Blues, um, this was cut in 2004 due to Oscar, Penny's dad, accusing Sugar Mama's new boyfriend, Clarence, of being a gigolo. So (laughs) I think this was just because they were uncomfortable with the idea of them saying the word gigolo on TV, on Disney Channel. Uh, But then it's now reinstated. But as socially important as I think the show is, I also have to shout out the general high quality of this show. The animation is great, but I'm not surprised I feel this way because Bruce, the creator, cites 101 Dalmatians <laughs> as the main inspiration for his particular style. Shut <laughs> up. You love that show. I do. I watched it the other night. <sighs> I watched it like a week ago. Mm-hmm. It's so good. So one of the other great things about the show is the writing. I did not realize how many clever puns there were until I got back into it this week, mostly when it comes to the character names. Dijonet is obviously a play on Dijon mustard, and in the show, she has seven younger siblings who are also named after spices and condiments. (laughs) The Boulevardes family are all named after famous streets in L.A., so there's La Cienega, her mother's Sunset, her cousin La Brea, and her Aunt Melrose. Perfect. Perfect. And there's Wizard Kelly. He's like a basketball magnate who like runs the whole town. And he's kind of formed after Magic Johnson. And in the Proud Family movie, there's a rapper named 15 Cent. (laughs) And his background dancers are called the Spare Change. That's perfect. (laughs) They didn't have to be this clever with some of their jokes and names, but it just goes to show how good the writers are. And, of course, we have to shout out the theme song, which is performed by Solange Knowles, accompanied by Destiny's Child. Interesting move there. Very interesting move, but also that's what Penny Proud did. Yep. Mm -hmm. Make your sister and friends your background singers. As of June 2023, the series was picked up for a third season, so Penny's story is not over, and a lot of people are excited to see how the characters progress. So far, Penny and her friends have aged gracefully into a very different world than 2001. And even though they have technically only aged two years, they seem much older and wiser. And even though they have smartphones now, they're still dealing with the stuff that is evergreen in teenage life, such as boys, friendships, and embarrassing parents. Ugh, we're the worst. <laughs> um. So, yeah, that's it. I, like, it was hard to, like... I know that this show was so important for so many people and it was like kind of hard to like really explain that but it, cuz it just like was you know Well I think it's hard with the show being rebooted and only being 20 some years old yeah to really encapsulate like what it did yeah for culture and for people and for representation mm-hmm. like it's just maybe too soon yeah to yeah. know yeah but Thanks, it's a great Penny. show. Little I would highly recommend Penny. it. <laughs> Love it. All right. Let's get more drinks. Let's do and it. And do part two. Woo. 
Back what a great looking cocktail. It's so <laughs> beautiful. I like if I had put some rosemary in here or something oh, it, yeah. and like floating cranberries, it could be a Christmas margarita. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. A Christmas margarita. What was I thinking? <laughs> I should have done that. But this isn't a Christmas episode. So no, it's whatever. Not. It doesn't matter. Um, okay. So do you want to know what it's called? Yes. This is called Estrella. Mm. And it is pretty much a cranberry margarita. <laughs> so it is in a like white wine like a curvy white wine glass i put salt around the rim and then filled it with ice and added tequila lime juice unsweetened cranberry juice triple sec and uh mixed it all up all right. shaken dumped in <laughs> it's beautiful cheers, cheers. Mm. I wanted mm. the unsweetened cranberry juice because you I wanted to it have to have that. Yeah. Sweetened would have been too much. And I think taken away from the tequila and the triple sec and the typical margarita taste. Let me tell you, cranberries are apparently very hard to come by in their natural form. Cranberry juice always is like cran apple or like you look at the thing and it's oh, like yeah. it's like predominantly apple juice. I was having that, too, with dried cranberries. I could not find regular dried cranberries. They were all like dried cranberries filled with blueberry juice i'm right. like why <laughs> like, come on craisins just give me like, one thing hey. because i'm like i like the tartness of cranberry yeah. i like the real cranberry like i don't know it's just it gets frustrating and if sometimes. i'm trying to work on like a uti or something right. get that apple get juice out of the here the apple juice out of here exactly you're tricking me yep hate it <laughs> okay what do you know about jovita idar nothing absolutely nothing i didn't know anything either until this week this is also a request from Artemis. Thank you so much. Thank Artemis you, at one point gave Katie and I a list of women of color and just like offbeat women that we may like have not heard of. It's, it's a massive incredible. list. We're slowly chipping away at it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's yeah, we go back to it all the time. All the time mm-hmm. when we're like, okay, this is this is episode season is becoming a little white. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, we really got to do something yep. about that. So I'm so excited about learning more about her because not only uh, is she a Mexican-American woman, but she's also not from my uh, region of the country. So mm-hmm. I may have never heard of her otherwise. Yep. Very cool. Okay. My story sources are from, thank God, the New York Times, like forgotten obituary mm. Things. love that they do such a good job i love that series yeah uh and then wikipedia but then also there was a couple two to five minute youtube videos nothing okay. over five minutes uh the best one was called voice of the people untold history so today it is second nature for snl or someone on twitter slash x to judge the president or any politician really mm-hmm. but imagine if you did that in 2023 and the army showed up at your front door to no. destroy you and your business even though it is a first amendment right so i'm guessing that's what happened to jovita <laughs> And I can't wait to tell you all about how cool she is. (laughs) So there are books written about Jovita and the Idar family. I read a lot of excerpts from them specifically. I'll reference the woman later, but she 
wrote, I think in 2018, a book about the entire family. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't get my hands on it in time, but she has several siblings and parents that were all activists. So this is a big family living in Texas. Okay. Jovita Idar was born in Laredo, Texas in 1885. So about 20 years post-Civil War. Um, And uh, Laredo, Texas is right on the Mexican-American border. So it's pretty far south near the Rio Grande. She was one of eight children. Her mother, by the same name, Jovita, Jovita, and her father, I'm assuming... Nicasio. Okay. They were striving to advance the civil rights of Mexican Americans. They were part of the upper class in as a Mexican American family. So they all the children had better access and opportunities to education than most Mexican American children hmm. at the time. All eight children grew up in a community where at dinner every night they talked about how it was their right and their responsibility to work to help the underprivileged people of their community. Growing up, Jovita was an imaginative and spirited girl. She was an eager student who won prizes for her poetry and really enjoyed reciting it before audiences. So she was a good speaker. She's creative. She's bubbly. Her father was in charge of publishing a local newspaper, and that's where she learned about the history of her ancestors and other people of her community. Since the Mexican-American world, like, collided with the American world in a really true way um, in around 1846, the Mexican-American minority in Texas was heavily discriminated against. I think... One thing we have to remember is that in early America, like the East Coast was really set, but that southern border between Texas, New Mexico, Arizona was fought over leading up to and until the Civil War. Um, So there are a lot of people who were born in Mexico proper Mm -hmm. who after like a day or a fight, they were then Americans. That is so weird to think about. It's very weird. And they then had to fall in line with we're Texans now. Right. We're New Mexicans now. And Mm -hmm. that's it. So that's kind of the world we're living in. But unfortunately, that world isn't any better than the post-Civil War Deep South in America, Bible Mm -hmm. Belt South. They lived in fear of lynching mobs, murdering innocent Mexican-Americans, men, Mm -hmm. women, and children. Obviously, America at that point is under Jim Crow laws enforcing racial segregation. That also limited the rights of Mexican-Americans to the point where some scholars refer to them as Juan Crow laws when they're talking about Mexicans. Wow. Because we've never heard of that before. Yeah, I hadn't either, but we don't talk about it. Um, Specifically, I'll say on the, you know, Middle East Coast, we really talk about black American rights and slavery as opposed to this Hispanic culture that uh, it wasn't as as prevalent until recently. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you that. Like, do you think it really like a lot of it boils down to location? Because I feel like a lot of people on the West Coast learned a lot more about like the Japanese internment camps because they had a much higher Asian American population. Sure. And... I feel like that way with a lot of like people in like the 
southern belt of Texas and New Mexico learn a lot more about Mexican history and culture and heritage because like it is their history it is there it is a part of their history right you know their region yeah and I don't know I think that is such a wild part about America is that like it is so big that like we forget that like other people don't learn the same things that we do right it's so big and so multicultural like yeah that's what I was feeling when I was in Montana and Wyoming the breadth of Native American museums mm, because that's mm-hmm. where a lot of the um like the tribes were yeah a mm-hmm. lot of the tribe were were and were pushed yeah you know what mm-hmm. I mean so it's like there's such a large Native American population that I got to see a lot more cool things that yeah. on the East Coast the Native Amer- American population was decimated right we have very little left yeah and it's mm-hmm. remnants of like what the colonists did to destroy their lives right (laughs) so Mm -hmm. i i just think this is it's very cool that there's like even different verbiage like the juan Mm -hmm. crow laws never heard of it so um there were signs in their community that would say on like restaurants and stores no negroes mexicans or dogs allowed we've seen i feel like Every season we do a story where there's a variation on that side. Exactly. No Irish, no Japanese. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All and of it, it. And it always ends with no dogs, mm-hmm. which I'm sure is like also some sort of like dig at dig. people. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Law enforcement officers frequently intimidated or abused Mexican-American residents. And the schools were absolutely underfunded and often inadequate. To the point where speaking Spanish in public was discouraged. Like, Mm. even on the streets, which I do need to say, up through my high school years, I heard people out loud say, go home. Oh, yeah. If you're going to talk like that. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They're just speaking another language. In fact, they probably know two languages. You're the idiot. Yep. Well, you know what's funny is there is... uh, an episode of the proud family where like someone paints on like the local muslim family's garage like go home and like penny makes this big speech to the school that's like they are home like what is wrong with you mm-hmm. so like it's so like i didn't talk about that particular episode because like i can't get into every episode sure. but like that is so interesting that like that literal same thing is still happening in a 2000 two episode of the proud family right exactly and i mean it's still a problem today in america Mm -hmm. she went to a methodist school and in 1903 jovita earned her teaching certificate from laredo seminary she started as a teacher trying to make a change to the system through educating the youth she was like this is the way to do it if i start young i can really help other mexican-american kids grow to be educated and to change. But she soon became frustrated because everything was so inadequate. Mm. She found out that separate but equal was not separate but equal. Surprise. Surprise. She didn't have the textbooks she needed. She didn't have the supplies like pens, pencils, paper. She, if everybody from her class showed up that day, she didn't even have enough desks for them. And like, the Hispanic American students were being treated with inequity, even though their families were American citizens that were paying the same amount of taxes 
and working within Texas the same way that everybody else was. Yeah. Not that people who are undocumented and not paying taxes shouldn't be treated like humans. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She realized that her teaching was making little to no impact on the students' lives because of the segregation of schools. So she's like, I've got to go about this the other way. So the Mexican Revolution down in Mexico or south in Mexico, is happening from 1910 to 1920. And I'm kind of bouncing ahead a little bit. Mm -hmm. But Jovita's not feeling like teaching is her calling anymore. So she's like, I'm going to pop on over into journalism and start Mm. talking about what's happening Mm -hmm. in the Mexican community and the Mexican-American community. And this is when her and two of her brothers go back to actually work for her dad's newspaper, the La Cronica, or the Chronicles in English, La Cronica. This newspaper was a major voice for Mexican and Tejano rights. So Tejano is the name for people who were born as Mexicans and then became American or Mm -hmm. Texans Mm -hmm. because of war. Mm -hmm. Um, She believed and wrote about in this newspaper helping the poor people of color on both sides of the border. She was also a huge feminist, saying that if we educate the women in the family, we educate the family. Mm. Jovita wrote articles mostly under pseudonym exposing the poor living conditions of Mexican-Americans. One of her pen names is the name of this cocktail, Estrella, which is the Greek goddess of justice. (gasps) Very cool. (laughs) Her other one was Ave Negra, which means blackbird. Again, it's 1910. That's when the war is kind of happening in the revolutions happening in Mexico. Um, La Cronica included articles on news cultural events, biographical and historical essays about Mexican-Americans. It featured short stories on education, social discrimination, poor economic conditions, decreasing use of the Spanish language and the loss of Mexican culture and the lynching of Hispanic or Latinx people. And then 2011, the La Cronica establishes a fraternal order, like a Mexican Congress, as they call it, which came together to try to fight against this racist inequality in our country. Mm-hmm. While working for the newspaper, Jovita then became the first president of the League of Mexican Women oh, in America. Cool. Mm-hmm. And um, that's the same year that California granted women the right to vote. So as the president of this institution, one of her main goals was to get the women in Texas the right to vote. That's so cool. And she's like pushing for it because at that point it's still state by state. Right. Because it wasn't um, until, you know, 1919 that Mm -hmm. it's taken on by one of the amendments. Yeah. In this position, again, she continued continued to fight for education she Mm -hmm. was just like this is the answer and she just felt like herself as one teacher wasn't big enough but as an activist she could touch a lot of teachers she said we need to be teaching things in english and in spanish which is a problem we still have today i cannot tell you um the number of students in my school that i cannot communicate with and that is my fault Right. That is not their fault as mm-hmm. children. Mm-hmm. Like there needs to be a better system for this. Right. Um, and she also fought for representation in the curriculum. This is a quote from her. If in American schools our children attend, they're taught the biography of Washington, 
and not the one of Hidalgo. And if instead of the glorious deeds of Huerbez, they're referenced to the exploits of Lincoln, as much as these are noble and just, the child will not know the glories of his nation. He will not love her. And he might even see his parents' countrymen with indifference. I feel like that's another conversation we're constantly having of like, you know, trying to be more inclusive in the uh, people we cover. Because like for so long, it was just like wealthy old white men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I feel like a lot of people get angry because they're like, well, they're still important. It's like, yeah, of course they're still important. Of course, like a lot of these men still did great things. But also it's like, maybe we should include other people who also did great things. I mean, we've been doing this show for quite some time (laughs) and there are so many people. And of course, like you can't teach all of them. It's just impossible. No, but to try and spread out the glory a little bit. So that everyone can kind of see themselves in at least a little bit of history. And also, I think, so it's, good. I think it's fair to say that we can accurately sp- spread out the glory. Like, we are yes. not digging, like, six feet under to find these people. No! Like, their stories exist. Mm-hmm. And, like, all the information about them exists. Mm-hmm. They are just not covered because they maybe weren't the president. Right. And it's like, well... Yes, we do still need to cover all the presidents. I'm Mm -hmm. fine with that. Mm -hmm. What were the other million people Mm -hmm. living in the continent, on the continent? Because it was probably about, what, about a million Mm -hmm. in the 1700s? What were they doing? Right. Because that's what history is made of, Mm -hmm. the people and their day-to-day lives. Yeah. So it's very interesting, and I love that she had this representation conversation in the early 1900s yeah, in crazy. Texas, yeah. which is still a problem because Texas is very critical of their curriculum mm-hmm. and what goes in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Shut the fuck up, yeah. Texas. <laughs> it's like, not all of you, just your curriculum. Yeah. <laughs> so these organizations, they were established in response to just the poverty in trans-border Mexican communities. I love that she is a trans-border person yeah mm-hmm. um and she just got women to participate and they were became highly influential mm-hmm. in this region in 1913 on the mexican side of the border they they were having like a battle there's an attack um and jovita and other women crossed the rio grande to volunteer to be a part of the white cross which is similar to the red cross but just in that region uh-huh. so They could just very easily pop over, volunteer as nurses, Mm -hmm. pop on back. Like, it's a beautiful thing that's happening. Mm -hmm. 1914, the tensions are so high between America and Mexico that the Woodrow Wilson administration, this is literally the year World War I breaks out, they order troops to occupy the port city of Veracruz. She responded with an extraordinarily critical article Uh, in her newspaper and the texas rangers and american military show up at her newspaper now this is not ordered by woodrow wilson the troops are ordered by the administration but they're mad about her article they show up at her newspaper uh to shut it down Mm. she single-handedly stood in front of the door in front of officers 
that have a reputation for violence against Mexican-American people. And she argued with them that silencing her newspaper violated her constitutional rights to the freedom of the press, which is listed in the First Amendment. And they left. Wow. She talked them down. Now, unfortunately, she uh, was not there the next day. Mm. So her barrier lasted for 24 hours. And they came and ransacked her office and destroyed her newspaper the next day. But her standing up to them once, one woman against the Texas Rangers and the American military was enough to give hope to people and for them to label her a Mexican-American hero. And because of that, she lives on in the hearts of people who value the freedom of speech as a Mexican-American icon. After her father's death, she did become the editor and writer at La Cronica, where she kept exposing the conditions of Mexican-Americans and Mexican immigrants and how they were living. In 1916, she started a different weekly paper in night. Like she's like she's written on or started multiple papers like that you can find so many things and her opinion pieces online in both English and Spanish so if you are interested she is somebody who is bilingual and or I'm gonna say multilingual because Mm -hmm. I don't know how many dialects she speaks Mm -hmm. and and she's written articles and all of it um but then she gets married (laughs) she gets married in 1917 to a plumber and tinsmith and they move to san antonio so a different part of texas but she decides even though i'm here i'm gonna continue my activism she keeps teaching she starts a local democratic club she establishes a free kindergarten she volunteers at a hospital as an interpreter she taught all the women in the community how to do infant care for their children if Mm. if they didn't know and then of course she started to run another newspaper (laughs) jovita never had children of her own but when her sister passed in childbirth she did take care of her sister's children Mm. so she raised her nieces and nephews She died at the age of 60 of a pulmonary hemorrhage and advanced tuberculosis on June 15th. Isn't that your mom's birthday or your anniversary? It's one of them. One of the two. She has two big dates, the 13th and the the 15th. And I think the 11th is in there somewhere, too. Who knows? I don't know. It was June 15th, (laughs) 1946. She was 60 years old. Um, She... Just this year was added as one of the women on the uh, quarters, the American <gasps> quarters. Oh, and it. that makes her the first uh, Tejano American on U.S. currency. That's so cool. Of all time. I love that. In, nine, in 2018, Gabriela Gonzalez, who's the book author I talked about earlier. Uh-huh. She's a professor and a researcher and an academic. She wrote a book about the impact of the Idar family mm-hmm. um, and how they played a role in changing the lives of Hispanic people in the South for several generations. Mm-hmm. Jovita is included in the National Women's History Museum and is part of the Women in Texas History Series and also the Faces of Cultural Change in Texas. So, like, people are talking about her. We just don't know where she is. Yeah. (laughs) 
September 21st, 2020, she was a Google Doodle for the first time <gasps> as it. part of Hispanic Heritage Month. And then, of course, as I said, the New York Times included Idar or Jovita Idar in their series of obituaries called Overlooked about people whose accomplishments in their lifetime deserve to be acknowledged. This series started as people for people who were um, who died in like the 1880s before obituaries existed in the newspaper. Uh-huh. So she was one of the first people who were part of the installment of people who died in the 19th century. Mm-hmm. So she was very early on. They were like, okay, now that we've covered people who died before obituaries, let's cover people who died when they should have had obituaries. Yes. And that's the part that we keep diving into. Yep. And that's who she is. She's a treat to talk about. I love her. And I'm very happy for her. I feel like she lives such a normal life. Mm-hmm. Like, she was a teacher. She wrote a newspaper. And she did this one big thing to, like, piss off the federal government. And it was, like, it was one day. It was one day. And the rest of her life, she just worked to make the people around her better. Yeah. Good I for her. That. Good for her. <laughs> and that's Hobita's story. I love it. All right. Well, now we need to talk about these two ladies together in a little segment we like to call Just the Two of Us. I think they both had very similar roots and that they have like families that talk openly about their own values. Mm. So I told you that Penny dressed up as Angela Davis for her history project, her Black Mm -hmm. History Month project. And but what I didn't tell you is that there's this great scene of her dad coming downstairs and he's like so excited that it's Black History Month. And she's like, thank you, dad, for helping me prep for my project. I just got a piece of salt in my eye. Okay. Um, it's everywhere. It's airborne. Lots of life. Where are you? (laughs) But I thought that was such a great part of it because like Penny and her dad, they bash heads a lot. But when it comes to like cultural stuff, like he's so excited to like be open with his daughter about like these are the things that we value as a family. And I feel like Jovita's family did the same thing of like let's talk openly about like where we stand on this stuff. I agree. I think the families had very similar vibes, mm-hmm. even to the point where it's like we have this upper middle class or privileged family in both instances yeah. of people of color, which yeah. is something that I think we don't show enough in media. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that there just needs to be a bigger gamut mm-hmm. of what we say. There, a bigger radar of what we say people of color are. It's like everybody's so pigeonholed. Yes. And these Penny and Jovita, you cannot fit them in a box. No. They're not the box of what you're like, oh, well, that is what that person is. Yeah. And their communities are not boxes. Like the Proud family as a TV show is very diverse in what it represents of like, like it doesn't tell you like this is what it means to be like mm-hmm. a, bl- a young black girl living in America because like they're are a lot of different black girls in the show that like have very different experiences, different hairstyles, different clothing styles. They interact with people in a very different way. And like, I love seeing that like they're not pigeonholed. And I feel like that's one of the things that I like about Jovita and Penny is like, they're just like, we're just normal girls doing things. You know, we maybe do like just hanging out, trying to like better our communities. But like, we're not, it's like, we're just being typical for ourselves. 
they're also not trying to like make a statement of like this is how all girls are and i like that about mm-hmm. both of them i i think one of the greatest things about both of this is like the talk about representation yeah and i think um where Hovita's coming from is is the very like let's include her she wants to include people and now we're like let's include her but we're going to include her on Hispanic Heritage Month right and Penny is the step forward from that yes she's included always mm-hmm. and that is what real representation is yep. when the person is woven into your culture because they exist uh-huh always yeah mm-hmm like Hispanic people can't just exist in Hispanic Heritage Month. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And young 14-year-old black girls can't only exist on Black History Month. They have to exist all the time because they do. Yep. And that is where we have gotten this equity thing all wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All wrong. Yeah. And I also feel like there's such a big education element to both of these because we have two young women who are really striving to like educate those around them while they are also still being like educated themselves you know like the part of the story that like we're not quite getting but i'm sure is there for hovita is that like you know she had to go to school herself she had to learn all these things she's learning from people in her community that like what they need what the problems are what the pitfalls are and you see that with penny too it's like she makes some missteps sometimes and she's like, oh, I thought this is what I was supposed to do. And it's not because people are not perfect and we're constantly learning. And both Penny and Hovita really had a spirit of like educating the people around them and also getting them to, to per- per- participate in bigger social movements. Like, again, it's hard to talk about every episode of the Brown family, but there's one where like Penny leads like a strike on kids doing chores because she's like we're not getting paid adequately like we're getting older we like deserve like real money not pocket change and like so she's always trying to like get people into like her social movements and I feel like Jovito is doing the same thing of like I care about this you should care about this too well I and I think that that is a really like poignant part of this story that because of people like Jovita we have characters like penny Mm -hmm. like it is a woman's job to stand up and fight yeah like Mm -hmm. it is a woman's job to say let's all gather together and tell everybody what we need yeah Mm -hmm. like a woman's job is in the rebellion you know what i mean like let's fight back and say what's right and i think penny doing it is thanks to the people like angela davis Mm -hmm. like hovita who have done it Decade after decade after decade with yeah. no thanks and actually punishment. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, like that's yeah. sad, but also really cool to show it on television that like, oh, Penny, I'm a little girl who dressed up like this for Black History Month and I'm living the action because that's what we want. Right. We want people to live the action. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I also want people to throw the fucking action in the government's face yeah like at some point you do need to say oh really the first thing james madison wrote was freedom of the press Mm -hmm. that's like the first thing he said (laughs) so i can actually write whatever i want and you can fuck right off yeah (laughs) (laughs) right agreed okay all right 
Well, let's toast. Let's. Who would you like to toast this evening? I want to toast people who uh, stand up for what they believe in the face of danger. I think Hovita did it and came out safe and clear, but mm. for so many people, yeah, that is not the case. Mm -hmm. So, to like people who lost their lives doing that, to people who lost their livelihoods doing that, mm -hmm. like, thank you, yeah, because it is much appreciated, and like my life is better because of it. Yeah, cheers, cheers. Hmm. I'm going to toast teenage girls. Man, it's fucking hard. <laughs> Honestly. I, <laughs> I was thinking that a lot while watching clips. I was like, fuck. Being a teenage girl is so difficult. And I just love Penny for making mistakes, being just a typical teenage girl and trying to deal with all the stuff that she's dealing with. Um, and I don't know. I just, I love her for it. So cheers mm. to the teenage girls. Cheers to you. I love you. All right. Now, what are you enjoying in pop culture this week? So I need to clue everybody in to an amazing app called Say Hi Translate. Ooh, okay. So this app is so simple. Mm -hmm. It has two buttons, a okay. green button and or a blue button and a green button. The blue button is the language you speak mm -hmm. and the green button is any other language okay. you could pick in the entire world. Okay. And uh, you download it on your phone entirely free. And what I do with this app, because I think a lot of times when we talk about students that are English language learners, we assume uh, Spanish, mm -hmm. right? Um, and a lot of Spanish kids do have a lifeline because they have kids in their kids who speak Spanish have a lifeline because there are kids in the room who can at least translate a little bit. Right. Um, but there are kids that I teach that speak Arabic and speak Urdu. Yeah. Uh, that there is no, there's nobody in the there's room. There's nobody in the class. There's nobody. <laughs> so what this app does, and it does, it did it today with me for a girl who my, the translator wasn't in the class today and a lot of the kids were on a field trip. So you, I give, I give the directions to the class in English and then I hit the button and I walk over to her and I say, so basically what I want you to do is read the paragraph and summarize it in five words or less so that we can discuss uh -huh. the main point of the author. I pick my finger up. My phone says it to her in Spanish and prints it in Spanish. Oh, what, what language was she speaking? Spanish? She was speaking Spanish, okay, she was speaking but there Spanish. was nobody else at that point. Right. Yeah. Um, she's reading it, my phone's saying it, and then she goes, okay, and does the work. Wow. And then I can say, click the green button if you don't understand or have any questions, and yeah. then hold the phone up, click the green button. If you, like, and it, it is, for people who are travelers, uh -huh. like, for people who want to communicate and can't, like, or are trying to learn a language and mm -hmm. want to see what it looks like or sounds like. This is a God-given app. Yeah. It's amazing. That sounds great. I just, I summarized, I, I summarized for this one child what I said to the whole room uh -huh. in two seconds. Yeah. In their home language. Mm -hmm. Why not? Yeah. I should get that because sometimes, you know, like obviously mm -hmm. I go into hundreds, thousands of apartments. Right. And some of them are like 
there was one apartment building I went into where it was just like a ton of Russian families that yeah. didn't that spoke Russian and I was like I have no experience with Russian yeah <laughs> you know and so like that would have been so helpful it is life because I'm a stranger just coming in and putting something on their wall and mm -hmm. I have no way to ex I can I've kind of like memorized this sentence in Spanish mm -hmm. because obviously I, they're it's predominantly Spanish-speaking folks who, like, I'm experiencing. But, like, I have had, like, a lot of Russians now and a few Arabic people who, like, I, I'm like, I'm sorry. I don't know how to, like, tell you this. I got like, to show you this app. It yeah. is life-changing. Yeah. Because, it, like, if you're going to travel to a foreign country and you're insecure about saying something. Yeah. This, or just in your hometown, if you mm -hmm. want to communicate with people who you care about and you love. Like, I love my students mm -hmm. and I can't talk to all of them and yeah. that's very hard yeah I mean I can speak to them in English and I can do my best in Spanish but there right. are some things I don't know yeah mm -hmm. and I don't want them to feel like I don't care because yeah. I do care mm -hmm. so I think that's so it's such a great yeah that's free a, yeah app. that's great okay what are you into I'm going to recommend the book that you gave me for my birthday the um it's a good girl's guide to murder by Holly Jackson <laughs> a dream it's so good it's like a murder mystery that is so fun so interesting i just i really loved it so now i'm trying to get fiance to read it <laughs> oh he should my he kids should. both read it all both my girls so like a really like easy fun read oh yeah um so i just am gonna recommend that because the book was so good and now i'm on the sequel I and i it. can't wait to get to that one and the third one. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all for listening. We hope you're having a good week. We hope you have a good time next week as well. Um, you can find us everywhere on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, X, whatever it is. Merry, happy everything. Mm -hmm. Merry, happy everything. We hope you're having a good December. And if you wouldn't mind giving us a little Christmas present or a holiday of your choice present and leaving a rate and review on Apple Podcasts, that would mean the world to us. So thank you again. And never forget that well-behaved women really don't discriminate against people who are different yeah, from them. Yeah, they don't do that. And they rarely make history. Oh, wait, they do do wait, that. They, they do discriminate. Wait, well-behaved. Yeah, yeah, they, they're discriminatory. Assholes. Yeah. And if you don't discriminate, then you do make history. I guess. If you do discriminate, you're making the bad kind of history. Yeah, be on the good team. Yeah. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to Her Story on the Rocks. We are independently produced by 1986 Entertainment and proudly recorded in Baltimore, Maryland. If there's a woman in history you would like us to cover, you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com. You can also message us on Twitter or Instagram. We post all of our cocktail recipes on Tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us. See you next week. Bye.